Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. Good morning, Paula Cole-Jones. What a delight to welcome you to our Sunday Assembly today. Thank you so much for the wonderful workshop on the Eighth Principle yesterday. That was um, lively and illuminating, and I think the challenge to our congregation and to the Unitarian Universalist Association to affirm the Eighth Principle is uh, one that is worthy of our, our dedication and work. So thank you for your leadership in the movement and with us and, and for being with us this morning. You are welcome. Thank you, Reverend Kelly, for the invitation to be here with you, not just today, but yesterday as well. Um, I, we, you and I talked about uh, how much we would enjoy just being in conversation with each other today. And so uh, this is a continuation of a conversation that we've been having over the last few weeks. Um, and I just have a couple of kind of starter questions that I want to ask, and, and we want to hear from you what you would tell First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis what you would ask us, how you would continue to challenge us. Um, as we spoke earlier, this congregation is a very identity-based congregation as a humanist congregation. You may not know that we were actually formed to read the works of Charles Darwin in, in a communal setting. So always very interested in, in uh, science and um, how, we, how we are together as human beings. Will you tell us a little something about your history as a humanist? You and I have talked about that, and I think it would be interesting for our folks to know this. Yes, so thank you. Yes, I grew up as a humanist in All Souls Church in Washington, D.C. So it was a very multicultural church, uh, it was vibrant, um, and I understood myself to be a humanist before I re really understood organized religion. Uh, so it's just kind of in my DNA. And it fit, I gravitated as well towards the sciences. Um, that had a lot to do with my, uh, my childhood and the interest of my siblings and my parents. Uh, so I went into first marine science and then into plant sciences and ended up, um, when I left the federal government, I was a natural resource manager. So, um, yeah, I guess I fit right in. <laughs> I, I do want to share that. I, I think that there are times, there are points in time when, as we mature, we kind of question and clarify, you know, the piece around religious identity. I've thought about it a lot. My church was and still is named Unitarian. And so the shift from Unitarian to Unitarian Universalism, uh, for me, I don't separate the two. I identify as Unitarian Universalist, 
um, and as an agnostic humanist. And that was a very deliberate decision that I made for myself as um, experiencing, in some cases, really the awe and wonder of life, of the natural world, of the mystical world, things that we cannot see. And I identify as an agnostic humanist because I believe none of us have the answers. And so I am open to possibility. I'm very interested in, in quantum field theories and things like that. And so there are a lot of things that we haven't discovered. And it's very fitting with Unitarian Universalism that revelation is never sealed, right? So right. we're still learning and evolving. So thank you for saying uh, revelation is never sealed. The thing I've been thinking this week is the principles are not sealed. Um, many of us are come outers from other denominations, and certainly some of us have grown, like you, have grown up in this faith, in this tradition, let me call it a tradition. Um, and so our covenant, we covenant to affirm and promote these seven principles. Um, and unless someone has been around Unitarian Universalism for a very long time, seven is the one we've all, the number we've always known. But the seventh principle itself was affirmed in 1984, maybe? 85, I think, our current version. Somewhere around then when the uh, sense of our interconnected web. So we do also have a tradition of this growing and changing and adding to these seven principles what, um, to the principles, what is needed as we understand our times. Can you say something to us about how the idea for the eighth principle formed in you and and how you brought it forward. I know there's been this really fast growth this year, but this has been around for a while. You've been uh, uh, a faithful servant to this cause for quite some time. Can you say something about the trajectory of that? Yes. Um, and so this is a journey that many of us have been on for a long time. I have been uh, for over 20 years now working with Unitarian Universalist congregations, my own, as well as others, and with various parts of the association. You know, as, as, we, as we try to understand um, cultural change, really. So, as we say, revelation is never sealed. You know, we come in as newer people, people with in a different social environment, than the generation before us and the ones before that. Our children have a very different starting place than we did, and they are pushing us forward. So I really look at this as social um, and institutional evolution. You know, we are constantly evolving. And and these days, I think it's, it's at a much faster rate with technology and our connectedness and more people having a voice. So that's one thing. For um, over 20 years, you know, we've been working at this, at anti-racism, multiculturalism, anti-oppression and inclusion. It's like, how do we do it? How do we translate it? 
to congregations and to UUs. Um, and, and so I have, I have been asking the question for a while, who are we or do we see ourselves? How do we see ourselves as part of a multicultural society? What is our vision for ourselves as part of a multicultural society? In 2009, I worked with the Leadership Council in the National Headquarters, and they came up with a vision for Unitarian Universalism in a multicultural world. So that was the kind of thing, it's like, you know, what is our vision that helps to galvanize us and move us forward in a direction? Um, and so the anti-racism work that we've been doing, if you, if you are doing the work, you yourself will continually be changed as well. Mm -hmm. Because we don't know today what we're going to know next year. None of us would have ever thought in January 2020 that we would be working from home, figuring out how to do everything virtually, trying to you know, navigate through uh, a dangerous time in terms of, of COVID-19, let alone the, the um, hostility in our political environment. None of us would have ever guessed that. So that's just an example. We don't know today what we're going to know a year from now. And part of being human is being able to adapt and grow and change and survive in a changing world. So that just gives you a little bit of the thought to the eighth principle grows out of that process of our own growth and adaptation. I was um, in another state on the West Coast in a congregation that was held up as multicultural. This was a, a number of years ago. And um, I had been asking myself the question for a long time, how is it that we can embrace these seven principles? Because they're dear to us, I love them, you know. How can we embrace these seven principles and yet struggle so much around um, multiculturalism, around anti-racism? Unitarian Universalism does have a universal invitation. But for some reason, we have not really been able to fully actualize that. And I've been trying to figure out what is it, what are the barriers, what's in the way? And all of a sudden, I got some clarity around that. And it is, we can all embrace the seven principles because they rarely get tested around race. So we weren't, we really were not putting them to the test. I, I want to make sure I understand you. We we can embrace the seven principles because they rarely get tested around race. Yes. We can fully embrace and live our lives devoted to the concepts, the principles in that we affirm and promote, and and live outside of the need to address racism and multiculturalism head on. Exactly. And so we can leave many of the old, we talk about social evolution, we can leave many of the old norms and relationships completely in place and, and fully embrace the eighth principles. 
right? And so there's this, there's a compartmentalization yes. that takes place. But the eighth principle, go ahead. Oh, sorry, oh, yeah. I don't want to interrupt you. Yeah, so the, the eighth principle then was co-written by Bruce Pollock Johnson out of Philadelphia and myself, but it was actually in response to this ongoing conversation. Um, and what the eighth principle does is it does it no longer lets us just embrace the eighth, the seven principles and and feel like we've got it because we have not really challenged ourselves to undo these older social norms. We should not carry them unconsciously or consciously into the future. We deserve better. Our children deserve better. And the progressive move, we are called, we are literally called by our principles to do this work. I love that. That's so powerful to me. And what I what I hear and what I know from my own life is even as I affirm the worth and dignity of every human being, I can do that without engaging in um, analysis about structural racism. Um, right. And so so this is a call. I think the word accountability in the in the proposed eighth, eighth principle is is one that says you can't do this just in your head. Um, you have to be in relationship. And I think for Unitarian Universalists, we are in relationship. That's what makes us a movement. Yes. Um, yes. And you know, it, it's interesting because um, being in relationship and being in relationship in UU spaces, we are in proximity to a lot of people who are, are um, you know, have different life experiences and, and we have a, kind of a range of identities, hopefully that will continue to grow. But if we're truly living our principles, then each of us, if we're honest about it, we've had some, some journeys of our own to arrive at a, a more inclusive way of thinking, right? But this is one where we really have not taken ourselves where we need to go with it. Can you say something about the phrase spiritual wholeness? Um, the reason that I ask this is as the minister here at First Unitarian Society who is tasked with our justice work, um, oftentimes I think we think of justice as the work we do out there, out in the world to make help make the world a more just and compassionate place. Um, and I, we are, we ought be changed by that. Um, so, so can you say something about how you think of that phrase, spiritual wholeness? Yes. So, um, I think it takes spiritual energy to do this kind of transformation work. Um, and I, I, I'm really referring to uh, I want to say maybe three things. One is that um, our core beliefs around who we are as people and and what justice and inclusion really means, that there's there's something that comes from our very being 
around that. And I'm hoping that we'll continue to grow it, but it's there. That spark of the divine, if you, um, as we so often hear it used. Um, so that's one. Two is what happens in community. That there's, you know, don't get hung up on the language, but there's an energy, whether you call it a spiritual energy or synergy or whatever you want to refer to it as. But there is something that gets created when we are together that none of us could create on our own. Yes. There's a, there's a spiritual energy to that, a spiritual aspect or dimension to life that's more than just our body and our mind, right? And then the third um, place that I want to take this is the beloved community, I think, is it's not just the idea, right? But it's active engagement in the creation of the bond. So it's like it takes us beyond an idea. And all of us have had known about the idea of the beloved community. We may not share the same definition, but we all have some vague sense of what is meant by that. But that's not enough to create it. Mm. We have to be engaged in what the beloved community calls us to do. Think about Unitarian Universalism just from the principles themselves. If we really have a universal message, but if progressive seekers cannot come and find that sense of connection and home, there's something missing. I don't think that we've come into our fullness as spiritual beings, as humanists, as human beings. We haven't come into our fullness if people who are seeking this cannot find a, a connection, a place. And that's not to say that, that all seekers would, but we have not extended the promise of Unitarian Universalism to all that would become associated with Unitarian Universalism. And I think that that's part of the journey, you know, whether it's a spiritual journey for you or whether it's a secular journey. And let me say this to Reverend Kelly. I personally believe we talk about the same things and we use different metaphors mm -hmm. to describe them. Well, multicultural competency makes space for those different metaphors, those different expressions, and still the work of what it is we need to do as human beings doesn't get impeded by that, right? That's lovely. I, I love that, um, that the more we increase our, not just proficiency, but uh, investment and commitment to um living in multiculturalism um the the more benefits for all it is not a a zero-sum game if i lose some of my ability to have assembly just the way i want it because somebody may want something different it it's an increase all the way around and what i love about this movement um is how hopeful 
it is. And the way you're saying we have not yet lived into our promise is not to say that we cannot or will not or that it's too late, but rather here's a way, here's a strategy, here is something that that we can do not just at our annual meeting and by the way you know we're looking to uh, we're hoping that we will affirm the eighth principle and join the how many congregations now uh, we have about 40 now that list is about to double i think between now and june yes because many congregations are looking to affirm it so we want to join that movement that wave and as you've said many times um that's the first part of the oh, work yeah. <laughs> and then continuing the journeying the accountability those relationships paula i see that we're just about out of time is there a last word that you would leave us with a word of hope a word of encouragement here in minneapolis in a particularly fraught moment mm -hmm. you know that the trial of the police officer who um, murdered George Floyd is is ongoing, the, the trial of Derek Chauvin. So a word of hope. So for those of you who participated in yesterday's workshop, I think you might see some of what I get very excited about, and that is that the presence of the eighth principle has us looking at everything differently talking about things differently, seeing ourselves with different possibilities. So I think that um, it's exciting. I think it'll lead to a revival, really, uh, a renewal of Unitarian Universalism. I'm excited about that. And I want to say these, these are very difficult times. It has been for a while. And I actually think that's part of why we have made as much progress as we have not just in the eighth principle, but in many aspects of um, not just our association, but society at large. So against this backdrop of challenge and difficulty and, and the lack of justice that we all get to see, none of us wants to see it. But those things give us a sense of urgency. You know, it's like this work has been there all along, but I think that the, that in the face of problems, all of a sudden we begin to imagine how to use it, how to come together, how to push for justice. And I want to say this, um, and this goes back to the idea of religious language. I, I've just come recently to, to the understanding that whenever an injustice is corrected, especially systemically, we are saved. And as an agnostic humanist, what I mean by that is that the world potentially becomes a bit safer because someone else has received justice. That, you know, human potential perhaps has a greater opportunity because someone has received justice. So, you know, the uh, language of reverence, which when William Sinker Sinkford was president, asked us to consider embracing, I find myself just in terms of this opening and uh, the realization of some of these promises that haven't been, been met, that some of that language just seems to be very appropriate in terms of description these days. Oh, Paula, 
Thank you so, so much for not only for today, for yesterday and today, but for the gift of your presence, your expertise, um, the, the gift that you have brought to our movement and you and Bruce working together and, and that you continue to call us to our best selves through this hopeful, hopeful movement. We will be reporting back to you. Um, we'll let you know how things happen here. And everyone, I want to invite you to our coffee hour today when um, Paula Cole Jones will uh, join us in the talk of the talk breakout room. So if you want to be in more dialogue, we'll do that. Paula, thank you so much. We are ever grateful and we are changed by your work and our movement and with us here at FUS. Well, thank you. And I'm cheering for you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.